0: Let's pray together. Father, we need your help. Uh, We want to unpack the truths of your word in an appropriate fashion this morning. We need the governance of your spirit. We need the illumination of your spirit, the direction of your spirit that indwells us. And we trust, Lord, that um, at the end of this hour... We would leave this place more joyful than when we first came. We do lift up, Lord, uh, your children, the Kelmans. Uh, Lord, this is a Romans 8 thing. Uh, your spirit is interceding with groanings they cannot utter because their pain is too great. We thank you for the intercession of your spirit on their behalf. May they know his comfort as well. In this hour of uh, enduringness, Give us wisdom, Lord, how to help this sweet couple uh, as they mourn. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I was reading a little passage on uh, someone who was a forester. Um, He was a parks manager at Yosemite. He had been doing this for over 30 years. And as he was wrapping up towards the end of the day, his duties, a gal drove up in a car Saw him in his uniform and uh, pulled up, rolled down her window and said, Sir, I have one hour to see Yosemite. Where do I go first? And he said, ma'am, if to enjoy the beauty of this great place I've known for 30 years, he said, I should go over to that rock and sit down and weep. He said, there's no way you can even begin to find the prettiest place in this great park in just one hour. When I think of the text that we're going to explore this morning, I feel the same way. How do we, in 30 minutes, um, fully understand uh, the uh, the power and the authority behind this passage that has been familiar to many of us for decades? Um, I don't feel like I should go over to the piano bench and just weep because we only have 30 minutes, but my heart wants you to know that there's so much here. And, uh, and, and, the, and the danger is, is to want to look at it quickly because we know it so well. Uh, so let's make sure that we meditate appropriately on this text and listen appropriately uh, and see what the Spirit of God would have for us. This passage contains one of the most memorized verses in Christian history. It's verse 16. It may have been taught to you as a child, and the Lord probably used it in folks' lives seated here this morning to bring them to Christ as a child, or even as an adult. Like the hymn Amazing Grace, God in his mercy has allowed this gospel message in John 3, 16 to be quoted, posted, and memorized by millions across the globe in religious services and even sporting events. And in doing so, The good news of Jesus, by God's mercy, has been learned and by some loved. It's glorious to have the good news of God's desire to save packed in just a few lines. That's the love that is the simplicity of our God. It's the love that John simply wrote about in his writings. John wrote with clarity to his readers when it came to understanding God's initiating love towards them. His desire was for all of us to understand it and then surrender our hearts to it. When we do, it becomes amazing love, doesn't it? It's like Charles Wesley wrote in 1738, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain for me, who Him to death pursued. Amazing love! How can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me. So let's continue to remember friends that we're studying a gospel this year. It's originally written to people that need to know Christ so that they can entrust themselves to him as their personal lord and savior. I would ask each of you to keep this in mind as we continue to study. Paul encourages us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's make sure we do so continually, and especially today as we unpack the truths of a very familiar text to all of us. My greatest fear as a pastor is to preach the word while those who listen gloss over it because it's so familiar to them and in so doing actually fail in listening to the Holy Spirit who desires to illuminate the truth of this passage either for personal salvation purposes or for purposes of a reminder that we have a gospel to give as it was given to us. For the sake of clarity, let's remember where we finished together last week. The Lord Jesus used the story of Numbers chapter 21 to remind Nicodemus to look to him and be saved. Let's look at verse 15 of John chapter 3 where Jesus Verse 14 and 15, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, says, as the new birth, the acquisition of eternal life has been grounded in the lifting up of the Son so also that lifting up The climax of the Son's mission is itself grounded in the love of God. So in the passage before us, we will study the mission of God's love and its fruit and consequences. The mission of God's love, its fruit and its consequences. So let's first of all consider the nature of of God's love in mission. The nature of God's love in mission. Love is founded, it's sourced in the very person of God. We know this, God is love just as God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is faithful. Anything God does to express compassion on mankind is done so in perfect completeness. Romans 5.8, Paul says, But God freely commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ did die for us. And God's expression of faithful love was missionally accomplished through Jesus, who is the eternally faithful Son of God. John says here, God so loved the world that he gave. If you study the language here, you'll discover intention and purpose at the highest level. God's love for those created in his image yet fallen in sin is an intense love. Some would say that it is an excitable love. This love gets excited about demonstrating compassion upon the object's loved. This excitable love is an initiating love. John also says this in his first letter in 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 11. I have here in my notes to have us turn over there and read, but for the sake of time, I would just ask you to write that cross-reference in the margin of your Bible. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 11. This excitable love is an initiating love. So salvation love, love to follow what the Lord teaches and love for one another who know Christ is, is all sourced in God's passion for us found in the person of his Son. It is a self-generating, spontaneous love. And it's just who God is and what he decides to do. God is love long before mankind is created. He is eternally, eternally unchangeably, faithfully loved. Where he decides to express this love and upon whom is entirely his sovereign choice and always enacted the kind intention of his will. What great mercy and what great grace that he chose to express it to you and me. I think it's important for us to know this as well. In most of John's gospel, this is something I never knew about this text, and I guess if I knew it, I'd forgotten it, but it was good to rediscover it. In most of John's gospel, he teaches us God's love for his son, Jesus' love for the Father, Jesus' love for his children, his children's love for each other and their Savior, but this is the only place, as far as we know it, where John teaches us that God so loved So we shouldn't relax when we unpack this familiar passage because we're going through language that is extremely familiar to all of us. And we need to understand that we're not going to see language like this for the rest of our study in the Gospel of John. So though it's familiar, it's here. So let's mine out its truth. Love has a target here. Love has a target. God so loved the world. God's love has souls in mind when it sets out to do what only perfect love and sacrifice can do. His excitable love was inexplicably made known to you and me who believe and without God demonstrating that love to us in Christ, we would be helpless, lost, sinners, bound for an eternity in hell. You know, God didn't prepare hell for those who didn't believe. God did not prepare hell for those who didn't believe. Matthew says God prepared hell for Satan and his fallen companions, angelic companions. God's heart towards the whole human race was to rescue us from that place that fallen angels have recklessly condemned themselves to go. They have no way out. God prepared hell for them the day they turned against God in the heavenly realm and it's been their inevitable destiny ever since but for us God sent his son fallen angels are unredeemable mankind is not unredeemable you're probably going to sit down at some time in the next 25 days or so, and maybe watch Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, and you're going to conclude that little reading or watching of that show with the ghost of Christmas future, who takes Scrooge in that final scene to the place of his burial. And all the regrets of Scrooge's Scrooginess come flooding through his mind and his heart, How in the world had he become so wicked and cold and abusive, especially towards Tiny Tim on a one crutch? When faced with the cold, dark realities and consequences of his own will, which is his own death, he changes, seemingly of his own accord. But on a divine level, God's love is demonstrated to us in the sacrifice of a loving Savior, not a ghost of Christmas future who can point us to self-reformation. In Christ, you have the opportunity to have eternal life, and that's God's plan for you if you'll just turn from your sin and place your faith in the Son that He has sent on this mission to save your soul. The passage goes on to say that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The nature of God's love is such that it grants us an opportunity to respond to it. Again, for sake of time, right in the margin of your Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. There you're going to read Paul's words regarding God's love in eternity past through his choosing of you. And the Bible says that he did this according to the kind, intention, of his will God set out his salvation plan in eternity past and gives you an opportunity to be redeemed whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life have you responded to God's choice of you by his grace and mercy the offer is there my dad used to tell me as a little kid before I got saved, he said, you know Tim Jesus is a gentleman he doesn't come to the door of your heart and kick it down he doesn't come to the door of your heart and pound on it and scream until you answer he's a gentleman he just sits and he taps and he's going to keep tapping he never stops tapping on that door until you answer you've got to answer that's his initiating love that desires to save your soul the scriptures tell us that millions throughout the annals of human history surrendered their hearts to god's faithful expression of his love towards them and i would ask you have you done so john is the only author we know that describes jesus as the only begotten son god never uses this term for his own son and Jesus never refers to himself this way in any other part of the Bible. Some would argue that it was, it was John writing here in verses 17 to 21, and not the Lord Jesus, because of this matter. But nonetheless, that's not what we're here to discover today. For us, the title John gives to Jesus reaffirms the nature of God's love that's been demonstrated to us in Christ. It's one-of-a-kind one of love, demonstrated in one-of-a-kind person, one person, one offer, one eternal life, one salvation. Yes, Jesus is divinely unique in this way. God's will is that no one should perish, but that all should have eternal life through his unique son. There are plenty of one of kinds in this world. Sometimes there's great value in five of a kind, or maybe even ten of a kind. The less there are of something valuable, the more value they have, that item has. Um, my wife and I were in Mobile, Alabama not long ago, and we, I like to visit military parks. And so we went to visit the USS Alabama and uh, at the military park there. It's grand. If you ever have a chance and you're trying to trucking through, I think it's I-20 East past Mobile, Alabama, get off and go. Um, great little seafood place just south of the park. tell you about that too but I'm too hungry to talk about that right now Uh, my puffin status is wearing thin as we as we continue but we're going through the ship we get to this one little room and all of a sudden we discover that's the ship that Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame pitcher Bob Feller served on remember he left the Cleveland Cleveland Indians organization to go fight in World War II and then came back and inside that room they have a little case honoring Bob Feller's in, in his hall of fame status and inside that little case is a baseball card signed by Bob Feller now my first inclination was to break the case and just pretend <laughs> no one saw it just kidding sort of and then there was his base his actual baseball glove and then one of the bats that he used and I walked outside of that room and I said how gracious it was for the Feller Foundation to donate that to that ship because they could have made bank off of just those three (laughs) items, right? The less there are, the more value there can be in an item. And truly, this is the case for our Lord Jesus. He's truly one of a kind, but of a divine source. He's a one of a kind, divine expression of God's unchanging, faithful love demonstrated to you and to mankind and there is no price tag. It is an invaluable one-of-a-kind. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a gift that offers infinite salvation and eternal life. And it's free to us while it cost him everything. And I'll just ask you this morning, how can you refuse that? offer of eternal life through God's unique one of a kind son as we continue we must realize that the nature of this love is also holy it's sinless John tells us that if we refuse this unique offer of the son this precious gift we will perish you see God sent his son to die for your sin and for mine right God's love is holy, is a holy love, and anyone that will enjoy him forever must be like him. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel to the listeners, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Everyone listening found that hard to swallow because no one is perfect, and since that's the case, everyone is in sin. How in the world do we become perfect again? Jesus said, if you offend in one area of the law, then you're guilty of all. Paul's way of saying that for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God everyone's missed the mark so this leaves only one unique person who is sinless and that's Jesus and if we entrust ourselves to him we are made complete and holy before God not ourselves we love to sing the hymn here complete in the, in the work of mine could take, dear Lord, the place of thine. Thy blood hath pardon bought for me, and I shall stand complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardon bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. To reject God's holy offer of love in Jesus alone is to perish. God has prepared a place for Satan and his angels. We've talked about that. A place he sent Jesus to rescue you from because it was not prepared for you. But it's the place we will go if we reject and pride the precious gift of God's Son in Jesus Christ. Luke 16 tells us of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's a true story because real proper names were used to remind us that God is, God's love is holy and just The rich man trusted in his stuff rather than in Christ. And he's in hell upon his death crying out for someone to just put a drop of water on his tongue, his parched, cracked, dried up tongue to bring him a very small degree of relief amidst the agony of a fiery hell. You see, the rich man perished permanent. His choice was to reject Jesus and that one-of-a-kind unique offer of gracious merciful love. You must realize that you have sinned and fallen short of God's perfection. You must realize that God's love is holy and that it's offered to you in the person of Jesus who is the holy love of God and you must turn from your sin and trust Jesus alone or you will likewise perish as the rich man. One of the greatest verses in the scriptures that most of you know well is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It's the greatest verses because it's on forgiveness. And how are we made perfect? You know it. Paul says, but God made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We've seen the nature of love. It's eternal, it's faithful, it's sacrificial, and it's holy. Will you turn to him who's loved you this way and be saved? Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We've seen the nature of love, this love of mission. Now let's consider the nature of the lives that mission has targeted. The nature of lives that this loving mission has targeted—that's really verses seventeen to twenty-one. We'll spend less time here because this little portion of scripture is kind of set up in a paradoxical fashion, compare, contrast, antithetical parallelism, parallelism, and so forth. Uh, my son had a had a, base, a basketball coach; he kind of still does coach him from afar. Uh, but this guy was an assistant coach in the NBA. Uh, He was actually Paul Pierce's shooting coach, and he was the head coach in the old ABA. Um, He came and watched my son play in high school and then uh, asked his sister whose kid was that, and she introduced Bob to me. We began to develop a relationship um, um, desiring for Bob to understand (laughs) who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Uh, Bob's written uh, a book uh, pretty much directed to people in athletics. It's called Go Big or Go Home, and uh, he's from East Lake, Ohio, and he's in the East Lake North uh, Basketball Sports Hall of Fame. We were watching my son play out of town one particular time, and were, he was playing among some very talented five-star athletes that were probably going to go to college for one year and then kind of go into the and I was marveling at the, the athleticism of these 6'10 to 7'2 people who just run like deer and jump like kangaroos. I mean, <laughs> it's just amazing with 7,000-foot wingspans and, and big feet. And, um, and I said, man, that, that guy is going to be a one-and-done. If They didn't have to go to college anymore. He'd go right out of high school. And he goes, you know what, he's never going to make it let me tell you about this kid, this kid, this, 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 this. He said he's never going to step foot on an NBA court. I said, he's got all the NBA ability in the world. He goes, you're right. He's never going to step foot on that court because of this, 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 and this. And he said, let me tell you who else is never going to step foot. He said, I know their coaches. I know their families. And he said, I know the colleges that have looked at them and then put them aside to no longer consider them because of this, 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 and this. And he said, you know what? You have to have it together from the neck up, not just the neck down, if you're going to play at the next level. And then he said this, and it's been true ever since. You know what? He said, Tim, remember, a leopard never changes its spots. You can tell these kids the way out, what to change, what to do, all this stuff, but a leopard never going to change its spots. He said, it's the craziest thing in the world. We love these kids. We try to help these kids, but a leopard doesn't change spots. That's the nature of who they are. You know what, folks? That's the nature of unbelief as well. That is just who you are. You can't reform yourself. You can't restore yourself. It takes the intervention of divine missional love to miraculously... Invade your time, space, mass continuum, and to and to perform a miracle on your soul. Paul says in Ephesians two, it's, he calls it in you hath he quickened, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. So the nature of the of unbelief in verses seventeen to twenty one is a, in its nature it seems be without help except the help of God in Christ. He says in verse 21, the same is true of, on the opposite sense, of those who believe. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so his deeds may be manifested, having been wrought in whom? Who started the whole thing? God did, because God is love, and he sent his Son into the world. You might have eternal life. So just as the leopard doesn't change its spots for unbelief, once you are in Christ, by the nature of Christ in you, so you live the will of God, the truth of the will of God, and you really can't help yourself but to do that by God's grace. If you write in the margin of your Bible again, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 10 to 13, and you'll see there, That prophet lists out all the things that the Lord does not like and he finds detestable. Yet he says in the same chapter, in verse 23, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? Of course not, God says. Declares the Lord sovereign Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Of course I am. (laughs) I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And I delight when they turn and follow me. Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verses 17 to 21 here is a simple volley back and forth about the life of belief and unbelief. Look at verse 18 with me. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of God's unique gift. The Son of God. Look at verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. That sounds familiar back over to chapter one, doesn't it? Verses nine to thirteen. Pastor Steve preached weeks ago, there is the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was not, and the world was through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man but born of God you see the difference in the nature of belief and unbelief unbelief unhelpable apart from Christ belief eternally helped in Christ it goes on to say in verse 20 that everyone that does evil hates the light doesn't even want to come close to the light because the light will expose the darkness of their deeds we've told the story here before of um, martin luther the father of the reformation before he came to know christ as a savior because he's made in god's image he wants to do the right thing and is having trouble out in the world finding a way to always do the right thing so he recluses himself to a monastery right and even in the monastery going through the tight regimen of the daily uh, responsibilities of a monk in that monastery he still can't find his way away from sin and he wants to be holy so he gets permission to recluse himself to his room with just the light of one candle He actually rolls up the only blanket that he has and he stuffs it underneath the crack of the door so no light can come in that little dungeon-like room at all. And whenever he just wanted to read the scriptures, he'd light the candle and he would read and then blow the candle out and he was just trying to recluse himself from darkness until he discovered one day that sin is real, darkness is real, and it didn't exist outside of himself, it existed within him. His heart was the And then he reads the prophet of old, right? Faith. It's faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that saves. And he equates that to Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. And he realizes it's the glory of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that he needs to surrender his heart to, that he might be made righteous. It's the only alternative for his sin-sick soul. My dad always taught me when I was a kid, he said, you know what, Tim, because there was the time where I really struggled whether I was saved or not. And he said, Tim, where does your heart go? Where does your mind drift when you're in your room, the lights are off, and you're going to sleep at night? He goes, the character of your heart is really tested by what you are in the dark. Where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? He goes, if it goes in a sinful direction, does the Spirit of God convict you of that? And if not, you probably need to be born again. If it goes in a sinful direction and he convicts you and you get that right, he says, be assured, the Spirit of God rests within you. Because unbelief doesn't care about conviction. What are we without Christ? just left to ourselves before a pure and holy God. The nature of our lives in belief or unbelief is revealed right here, isn't it? We said at the beginning that this passage is about the mission of God and its consequences in the life of belief or unbelief. We know the mission of God. We see the fruit of it among those who believe. And we see the consequences of those who don't. God's mission is now our mission if we believe. It's been your mission since the day you were born again. And as we close, I just want to remind us of this. We bring God's loving message of Christ to those who need him. And if you know him, that's what we do. So I ask you, when's the last time you prayed for someone who needs Christ? that the Lord would use you to see them saved. One of the greatest preachers in the state of Tennessee, an old conservative Southern Baptist preacher, one of my favorite preachers to listen to even to this day, he's now home with the Lord. He said this in relationship to this text, to his people. This is thousands of people in this this fellow's church. It was kind of sobering to listen to it again as a pastor recently. He said, if you're a Sunday school teacher here and you don't pray about witnessing to someone or witness Jesus to others, he said, you're not right with God. If you're a janitor here in this church and you faithfully show up every day and you're working your 40 to 50 hours a week and you faithfully serve him here before the eyes of God's people and yet you do not witness on mission you're not right with god if you come every week to every service and every week you tithe and give god's resources back to him and you don't share the good news of jesus christ with someone who needs him you're not right with god he went on to say it doesn't matter what you do here It doesn't matter how faithful you are here. Because if you're not on mission, and you're not proclaiming the good news of Christ to others, if you're not sharing the same love shared with you, with others, you're not right with God. God's mission of love is our mission. So I have to ask myself as your pastor, as I draw the circle around myself, who am I praying for that needs Christ? And who's the last person I spoke to to give the gospel? Because that really is what John's trying to convey to us here. This is God's love that's been eternally on mission. And when we know the Son, we have the mission. And so the switch never gets turned off. Amen. So, remain faithful. Do those things that, quite frankly, are easier for us to do. Don't ever stop serving, gifting, planning to serve, and loving each other. But please, always be mindful that right around your everyday existence, that the greatest tragedy in the world today is that there are people who are dying and going to hell today. And they need to hear of jesus's love for them father in heaven we ask that you would put upon our minds and hearts even now as your children a face a name of someone that we need to share the love of christ with i pray lord that as we hear the heart of our of our god and our savior for us in this text that we would we would own it personally and be found faithful sharing the good news of Jesus Christ that was given to us by someone who was faithful to somebody else who needs him. Lord, I pray that this year, as we go through this gospel, that this will be the greatest harvest of lost people coming to know Christ this church has ever experienced right here in our own area. Draw lost people to us and draw us to them. Give us a Holy Spirit prompting in any given moment as we walk through the natural rhythms of life with these people who need Jesus to speak of that love, to live that love of mission that's been given to us and give it to them.